everyone, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. If you want to learn about their upcoming Writers Conference, it's going to be in September, so you can still sign up for it. Go over to pnwa.org right now and sign up. All right. Hey, forgot to mention last week, but if you haven't checked out my newest podcast, Fearless Writing with Bill Knauer, on YouTube and all your favorite podcasting apps. Go check it out now. Weekly short five to seven minute dollops of inspiration dealing with the psychological challenges of writing, of which there are many. Go check it out. Fearless Writing with Bill Knauer. So today's guest, Jarrett Keene. Oh, we had a fun conversation. What an interesting guy. And we kind of geeked out a little bit on 80s nostalgia. Uh, he has a great approach to writing, great, fun, loose philosophy. We had a good time. He is actually, Jared, a, uh, he earned his Ph.D. in creative writing. Yeah, Ph.D. In, at uh, Florida State University. A beloved and highly sought-after professor, Dr. Keene, is an assistant professor in the Department of English at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where he teaches American literature and the graphic novel. He has written a travel guide, a rock band biography, poetry collections, and edited short fiction anthologies, including Las Vegas Noir and Dead Neon, Tales of Near Future Las Vegas, Hammer of the Dogs, published by University of Nevada Press, is his first novel. And, you know, we talked about that. We talked about science fiction. We talked about Las Vegas. Ah, I don't need to tell you about it. You can just listen to it uh, right now if you want. Enjoy. All right. Well, listen, we got debut novelist, but not not a newbie writer by any stretch of the imagination. But debut novelist, Jarrett Keene on the show. Jarrett, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love your show. Oh, thanks. Well, it's good to have you on. <laughs> the first thing that stuck out to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, Jarrett. I don't do a lot of research. That's my secret for these shows, not to cloud my mind with too much information. I like to learn it as I go. But the first thing that stuck out about you, unless I misread it, you have a PhD in creative writing. And did I get that right? No, I'm, I'm a doctor of creative writing. Yes, I received You're a doctor that. of creative writing. I got to say, I was standing in the shower, not to give you too much information, thinking about that. And I thought, I don't even, didn't even realize that was an option in the United States. I knew certainly MFAs and PhDs in English and so on, but in creative writing, what possessed you to go all the way to doctorate? Well, I didn't want to get a job. And I thought uh, the longer I stayed in school and, and you know, honed my craft, so to speak, that uh, eventually uh, it would pay off. And you know what it did? I became a, um, what would you call it? A mercenary hack after receiving my PhD. It impressed a lot of, yes, it impressed a lot of newspaper magazine editors. And I uh, jumped from uh, publication to publication here in Las I Vegas. See. After I that. see. Yeah. They just, you know, those three letters just impress the hell out of people. They do. You know, it's interesting, though. I, I don't want to stay on this too long. But so I coach people. But when I coach them, a lot of it's um just dealing with the psychology of writing, which is sort of my specialty. And so I've had a few doctorate clients who are writing the doctorates but these are like in the sciences usually right and the thing i deal with them is like look 
the PhD process is insane because you're having to, you are writing specifically to please three people. And one of the things I preach is you can't write to please anybody. You just can't. So how did you as a doctorate candidate negotiate that? Because as a creative person, you just got to, you got to float your own boat, right? Right. But, you know, I always had an eye on publication, even as a grad student. Uh, well, actually, going back, even as a uh, undergraduate, I did what was called like an honors thesis. Right. Uh, short story collection. And uh, as soon as I put that together and defended my uh, thesis at age, what was I, uh, 21, I immediately started submitting the stories to sure. literary journals, publishing them one by one until I published all of them. Nice. This, you know. Yeah. And, um, so I've always, you know, I've kept an eye on publication, even if even as I wrote for the workshop, even as I wrote yeah. for my professors, I always had one foot in the uh, the commercial gutter, so to speak, and the other uh, in the ivory tower. Yeah. You know, that can cut two ways, I I think, which is the one is I've, I've known people who have really had just what they I actually I work with a client who's a stand-up comedian, very successful, but he says, I have zero ambition. I just want the work to be really good. And it's, you know, it's worked off. But and that's fine. I've known other writers who have like just had no ambition, but it just things kind of fell along. But on the other hand, and, and sometimes writers, and I'm sure you've met them teaching, even young writers get so obsessed with publication, it screws up their their work. But on the other hand, publishing your work is a perfectly natural next step when you finish something you like it's not meant to sit in your drawer and i did you all of which is to say did you feel like the publication messed with you psychologically or did you feel very comfortable with it because it can kind of go either way well i was uh i have to be honest i love the validation of seeing something in print <laughs> or on a website and uh yeah. i loved it more than you know a professor signing off on my dissertation you know good <laughs> Especially when you get paid. I mean, even if it's a, a measly $10 check for a doesn't matter, uh, does it? CD review or an album review in a, in a weekly newspaper, that uh, that's just as exciting to me as, uh, well, honestly, publishing a novel. Isn't that interesting? I totally agree. I worked as a waiter for a long time. And it was pretty brutal. But I made a living. I supported my family and all that, right? And I finally left at a rather advanced age. And I remember the first time I got a check for doing some public speaking, and it was for like just a hundred bucks. I was like, I love this check more than all the money I ever made. It's meaningful. Serving state. It meant, some, you know, like, cause I would have done it for free and they yes. paid me to do it. I'll be goddamn. I would have written all those CD reviews and, uh, you know, <laughs> film reviews and everything I wrote uh, here in Las Vegas for free, but they paid me. And they, uh, not only that, I got to see these shows, these movies, these uh, events, you know, gratis i didn't have to pay anything it was uh it was ideal so okay so you were writing a lot of reviews uh that was that just because it came your way or did you have some very strong opinions and you were looking for an outlet that would allow you to voice them well you know my father was a big uh music uh head you know subscribed to rolling stone magazine and whatever so i grew up uh reading you know record reviews and yeah film reviews and uh, band interviews profiles. So I, I kind of like absorbed that format. Yeah. And I always wanted to be like a low rent uh, Rolling Stone writer. And <laughs> Your goal was low rent. That was the, yes. that was the objective. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to work my way down into a, a comfortable position as a music <laughs> critic in Las Vegas. <laughs> and it worked out, you know, I, uh, I knew, I knew the format and plus I had spent so many years writing even though it was geared towards, you know, an academic uh, 
audience. Uh, right. So when I moved to Las Vegas at age 27, I, uh, I had all the really all the practice that I needed. It was time to uh, unleash my uh, talent on the world on the world. And, you know, my first writing gig, uh, full time writing gig was for uh, a weekly newspaper here. And I think they paid me like uh, $18,000 a year in uh, 2001, which, which wasn't <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> Even but, then. Uh, I loved it. I, I savored every paycheck. So what, did you move out there to teach or did you move out there because you wanted to live on the strip? What brought you to Vegas? I tr- uh, The opportunity uh, to be a writer. And um, yeah, I did. Oh, so you moved for the job? Yes. Oh, and, uh, oh, oh, very good. And yeah. I, uh, I wanted to be a professor uh, initially, but it took me quite a while to scratch and claw my way back into the uh, academy. You know, once you start writing uh, commercially, you know, there's a there's a bit of a stigma, but there's also that uh, uh, inst- instant gratification. You know, you don't want to wait around and uh, yeah, for your uh, the stuff that you write to be vetted or peer reviewed or yeah, or, yeah. You know, so it's uh, I kind of got stuck in a uh, in a what you might call a uh, freelance or you know full time uh, mercenary mode, writing for money, editing for money, and uh, it worked out. But then. Uh, this is the real twist to my um, uh, story, which it's I found out I could make twice as much money writing uh, propaganda for the hotel casinos. What? Oh, well, of course, of course, of course, <laughs> because they don't they have more money than know what to do with, probably. OK. And did you do that uh, from like 2005 to 2000? Uh, uh, 11 i wrote employee newsletters for the biggest uh casino company uh on the planet and your soul began to just shrivel week by week it <laughs> you... did. <laughs> oh, God. And i wrote an essay about it <laughs> i'll bet you did but okay but you fought your way out yes. you got out and you you're you're in the you're in academia where you teach you teach both like english and creative writing but you know sort of standard yes uh, american literature or Yes, world literature, you know, composition, creative writing, writing yeah. for publication, the graphic novel, whatever they need me to cover, I uh, I jump in and take care of it. Do you like it? Because you know, it's a, writing is a thing, but teaching, it's got. A, I love teaching, but I'm a. I like to be on stage, so it's. I, I just see it as another venue. So how how do you feel about that? Oh yes, it's it's an opportunity to uh, strut your stuff, to demonstrate your knowledge, <laughs> to uh, you know, a captive audience. Of, of yeah, oh, yeah, very. <laughs> but I, I will tell you, I, I do enjoy um, encouraging my students to write uh, creatively and also for, you know, commercially and to submit their work to uh, local regional magazines and newspapers. And I find great satisfaction in that so much so that I uh, a few years ago, I took the uh, role of series editor for Las Vegas Writes, which is oh. a um, anthology uh, series made possible by Nevada Humanities. Um, it's just we just commission a you know uh, writers to develop an original work surrounding a, a, the theme of that particular anthology, and so we do fiction and nonfiction, even a little poetry. But it's um, published here uh, locally by a gambling press called Huntington Press, <laughs> and then uh, the book Las Vegas Writes, uh, which is now in its fourteenth volume. Nice. Uh, makes its appearance every year at the Las Vegas Book Festival. There's a Las Vegas Book Festival. Yes, October 21st. I hope you've uh, hope you're making plans to come out. You can stay I, with I, me. I didn't know it existed. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, if they want to invite me next year, I'll come. Oh, I'll uh, make sure you're invited. All right, good. You good. made a connection I, I, here. 
I'm a fun, <laughs> I, I love, I'm a good presenter. I like to, to ravel, get the crowd going. It's part of my fun. All right. So you're there. You're part of the Las Vegas literary scene. Yes. I don't mean to besmirch Las Vegas, but I would not have assumed there was such a thing existed. But oh yes, oh, but it does. Okay, very good. That's good. And you're a part of it, and you're teaching, and you like it, and you just and I would think having somebody like yourself who is a professional writer and who really knows the business of being an author, submitting, dealing with the sort of that end of it, very helpful. I remember when I was 20, 21, I didn't do much college. I couldn't, unlike you, I got out as soon as I thought I, I could. Um, I wanted someone, I wanted a mentor, not so much to know how to write. I figured I could handle that. But like, how do you do this being an actual, how do you go from being just totally unpublished to getting out in the world? It seemed mysterious to me. And I was craving, I never did find it, but, but I would think that that's a very helpful thing to have in yourself for all those young people who have some idea about that, who probably have never met a published author in their life until they met you. Right. Bill, before I, I hopped on the Zoom with you, I uh, polished a cover letter by one of my students who's applying for a, uh, you know, podcasting job here in town. And uh, I know that the students is, is I know the student will get that job because yeah. I, I've helped prepare him. He's prepared. His letter looks great. And I know he's going to get an interview and and, uh, right. and secure that position because um, and that I take immense satisfaction in that. And, you know, I'm a little different than most professors because you know i uh i i suffered a uh, a little bit from lack of uh mentorship to a degree especially in my undergraduate years but um you know it's really helpful to reach out to the younger generation and show them you know the ropes so to speak and yeah. what to expect and and some pitfalls to avoid you know so many uh so many times students get caught up in this uh pay to play scheme or you know some oh, kind of uh, oh, weird God. uh con yeah that, uh, i try to steer steer them away from that and go towards more le legitimate opportunities that you know even if they're writing for free at least it'll build upon itself and it'll create a, absolutely uh, opportunity ah uh, you're doing good work you're doing good work okay but but as I said at the beginning of this, you are debut novelist, Hammer of the Gods, coming out September 12th, people. I, tr I tricked you with that title. It's Hammer of the Dogs. God dang it. <laughs> well, what was it? It was, It was. Um, I remember it was um, Alan, um, uh, what's his name, you know, uh, said that he pointed out in Sleeper that God spelled backward as dog. <laughs> <laughs> but Woody Allen. So Hammer of the Dogs, sorry, sorry. No, but Hammer I am. Of the I am tipping the hat to the famous Led Zeppelin biography, okay, Gods, which you and I, uh, you know, uh, it stoked our uh, it interest, did. It fascination did. with rock and roll. Yep, and uh, so there's so much rock and roll and rock music, you know, uh, glam metal in yep. this book, and I wanted to capture the energy and spirit of that '80s music uh, in this book. Well, good for you. Okay, it's not Hammer of the Gods, which, as you point out, is a Led Zeppelin thing biography. <laughs> biography. It wasn't. It was just the biography. It was just yeah. the cats. I to the, it was to the, I so associated that phrase with them that I almost thought it was a song. No, it it's it's a lyric from Immigrant Song. It's oh, a it's a lyric song. for okay, it's the lyric from the Immigrant Song. Well, I can't always understand what the hell he was saying in the Immigrant no, Song. Who could? Yeah. Perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> uh, Hammer of the Dogs, and it's a post-apocalyptic story. Uh, fascinating, very well written. By the way, oh, it's science fictiony, uh, which great, but it has a kind of a. Well, interesting uh, flair to it. So if you like science fiction, you like it. If you like more literary stuff, you like it too. Uh, but <laughs> I was reading it thinking, did this guy show up in Las Vegas? And the first thought he had was, 
apocalypse. Yeah, let's blow <laughs> remember, it up. <laughs> remember the apocalypse? Maybe it's already happened. Uh, how did that? Why? Because you because you said it in your native, your current home state. Well, as you can imagine, working for that uh, casino corporation, I think they owned at that time maybe twelve properties on the strip. I was uh, given access to the. I don't know, the secret nooks and crannies yeah, of structures yeah. and uh, all of that uh, inspired me to, you know, what would this all look like after the, uh, I don't know, a cataclysm or a <laughs> whatever or it is, a yeah. nightmare scenario. But more than that, you know, this is also a great convention town. And so yes. yeah. you know, these drone conventions, drone tech uh, gatherings would happen every oh. year in, on the strip and like, you know, Mandalay Bay, Caesars Palace and uh, places like that. And I would uh, crash these... Um, events and check out all the latest well you know then latest this uh this really the impetus of this novel goes back uh a decade and i would check out the, this drone tech and it was absolutely frightening I'll and I thought, my, I thought to myself um what is going to happen here and what what happens if the stuff gets unleashed completely and right. um, you know i can really i could really see adolescents being taught to terrorize uh each other you know, the general population with these, uh, with these weapons pretty much, uh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what's happening in, uh, uh, parts of the world right now as we speak, but I wanted to, um, use Las Vegas as a kind of, uh, a playground for that, uh, horrible, uh, fantasy. But that said, it's not, I don't think you can tell me if you agree or disagree. I didn't want to write like a, a downer novel, you know, I wanted it's to not, write, it's not, yeah, it's not I wanted to write a heroic, uh, adventure story that, you know offered uh, what i call a bright darkness good i like it yeah because you have a choice with the post-apocalyptic you need to just be a warning get your act together people or this is where you're headed and that's okay yeah. or you can be like i'm gonna the fall has happened but here's the way out you've gone yes, down and, and you you opted for the latter that's that's exactly right and i wrote it sort of in the style of an 80s movie like you know Kroll, tron <laughs> oh uh, god Red the Dawn, 80s the 80s the barbarian <laughs> God, the, I just watched Conan the Barbarian again. For the, it was on Netflix or something. And I was like, this is such a weird movie. Do you know who so wrote weird. that? Do you know who wrote that movie? Wasn't it Millius and Stone? Oliver Stone? Yeah. That's Oliver Stone. Unbelievable. It's the greatest work. A weird movie. But it was good in places and then weird. Anyway. So, yeah, the 80s. My wife and I, we grew up in the 80s. And every once in a while, we reflect on the aesthetic of the 80s. And I'm not so sure I'm in sync with <laughs> But... But there was something gained by it, and it. But it's very enjoyable, and but you was this. I cannot believe. I cannot believe this is the first novel you've attempted. Well, I've written plenty of short stories and published nah, nah, novel, novel. No, this, I mean I, this. This is the this is the first novel. But I, I will tell you that I spent so long studying the uh, story structure of right. well, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> Sheena. <laughs> yeah, okay. God. Yeah. Which is all right. I stole the flamingos from, if you remember the flamingo swarm at the end of uh, Sheena starring Tanya Roberts. Uh, I do not remember that. <laughs> wow, you are steeped in that stuff. With a little bit of Thomas Harris's uh, uh, Hannibal uh, novel with the uh, uh, carnivorous uh, pigs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I put that together. And, uh, so you were inspired by that, but you were inspired. Well, it's interesting because Star Wars was mm. inspired. He wasn't Lucas was inspired by the sort of pulp science fiction of the 50s that he wanted to capture, I oh, believe. Yeah, yeah. You know? maybe even earlier. I know he wanted to, he tried to buy the rights to Flash Gordon. I think. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, which was yeah. the 40s, or yeah. was there early? I don't know. 
Yeah. All right. So, so you were inspired by the what what you felt was happening in the eighties that has not happened to that degree since. Yeah, I wanted to bring some of that energy back. Um, I don't like CGI. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. It just doesn't. It doesn't. That's work all right. Me. That's all right. And I felt like the the aesthetic of you know uh, real bits and pieces and and uh, you know blood uh, packets and uh, yeah yeah fake gore and all that stuff. I uh, Tom Savini's uh, um, Living Dead, uh, uh, you know, uh, special effects. I wanted to bring some of that uh, back and uh, and and show people that you know this stuff is great. This this is this aesthetic. I mean, you 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 love this aesthetic. I'm looking at the Dungeons and Dragons book. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> you love the '80s, and uh, I do as well. And I wanted to bring that attitude that um, where things were free and and you know liberated and just different and weird. Yeah, I wanted to bring some weirdness back. Well, you you did it. You did it. It's an original story. It's an original voice. And so you'd stu- you studied the structure, but then yeah. you hunkered down and had to, well, it's wanting to study it. Oh, it's another thing to do it. Yes. And a short story, think about the short story is, a short story is great practice, but the short story, like the essay, I tend to work in short form. I've worked in long form, but I work in short form now, but I can at least kind of hold the thing in my mind. Like when I write a song, I remember Bob Dylan actually describing when he was working on songs, he could always be playing it in his head, the whole thing. Oh, then yeah. he tried writing a memoir and he's like, I, I <laughs> can't hold the whole thing in my head. It's true. So you can't hold the whole thing in your head when you're writing a novel. Now you just can't, you can't no. see the arc. So was that a challenge or did you just work on it? Just treat each chapter like its own little story. How did you handle that difference? For me, that's where, when the heavy revision came in, you know, I, I wrote it in a dream state, but then I found I had, I had to go back and, you know, yeah. Patch all the uh, or link the different uh, set pieces that I had in my mind, and uh, I think it worked out. I mean, I think it's pretty tightly plotted. It's uh, you know there there's some things I wish I could go back and and work on just a little more, but uh, overall it it reads like a fever dream of uh, of Las Vegas, and <laughs> I just fell in love with. You know, I know we're talking about structure, but I I, fe- I fell in love with the protagonist Lash, yeah, who's uh, you know a drone assassin, and I really found inspiration for um for lash from you know uh watching you know ripley and aliens yeah you know the sarah connor character in um, yep. terminator and i wanted to bring that back that kind of uh you know uh, female heroine that female hero i wanted that kind of warrior in the uh in the book i didn't want to write another you know um king arthur thing i wanted to this to um to really go back to um, that aesthetic, that style of, of a, a woman under pressure who can uh, fight back and uh, defeat anyone who gets in her way. Ah, I'm glad you said that because I was wondering about your your choice of protagonist because in the publishing world there is a there is a sort of strategic desire to have female protagonists. Got nothing wrong with that; it's fine because for years ago, all protagonists were largely male in these kinds of adventures. But but there's there was a recognition of wanting a female protagonist for purely business reason because women buy most of the books. And I have nothing against female protagonists, obviously, but I just like choices to be authentic as opposed to strategic. Right. And it's nice to hear that you simply were replicating an aesthetic that you that pleased you and that it came from it naturally because she felt like a natural choice at the time. And I'm glad you did not do that from a just yes. a commercial for commercial choices. Well, I think the the reason why uh, you know people are responding well to Lash is because she's imp- wildly imperfect. She's not like that right. uh, that kind of protagonist we've seen recently, where she knows how to do everything perfectly right away. I mean, all she does is make mistake after mistake after mistake, which lands her in the uh, the uh, terrible, unfortunate position of being captured by the enemy warlord. Right. Um, 
you know, that she's just a, she's a mess. And, uh, yeah. but then she learns to, I don't know how to say this, but she just learns to be a, to be a team player and to, and to love the people that she left behind. And she returns to them in a very, uh, I don't know. Don't give away too much. Don't oh, give yes, away. right. right. Don't give away. <laughs> no You're not selling the book to me. I don't have to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's really not so much. There's no, like, huge uh, reveal. But right. I do. It's like watching the Titanic. You know how it's going to end. Right. right. You, know, you enjoy it anyway. And that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to write uh, a series of set pieces with a, an incredible character who is flawed, but also lovable in her own fierce way. It's so good that you made her flawed because it can be tricky. You, you can fall in love with a character and want them to be flawless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always that it's the syndrome of sometimes the, the sidekick is way more interesting than the hero because the sidekick can just be whoever. But oh, you, yeah. you 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 fell in love with her struggles and not just her strength. Yes. Oh, you know, I love the idea, too, of uh, flipping things around so that uh, the bad guy you know, ends up not being that bad. The good guy ends up being uh, a little more problematic than you yeah. anticipated. Yeah. So I love flipping things around like that in the course of a story. I do it even in, in my short fiction. It's just, I just like reversals and, and I just like fun. I wanted Hammer of the Dogs and Lash to be fun. And I wanted- Good for you. To See, have a good time. It should be. I tell you, I you know, if you're going to teach your students, hear from me. If they can have fun, like you got to learn to write in your craft and blah, 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 learn all that. That's fine. But, you know, your craft should be fun because those are your tools. You know, those are your tools. But you should be having fun on some level. It may not be as fun as, I don't know, partying or whatever. You know, that's one other definition of it. But I think there should be a kind of, there should be an excitement, a pleasure, a rejuvenation, a drawing of energy from the experience, both in reading it and in creating it. And I think sometimes writers can get so caught up in the seriousness of it like almost pretension of it that I think it it can dilute what the value of the work and also their own experience of it. Well, that was my, uh, that was the psychology I tried to nurture in myself as I wrote this book, which is that, you know, I'm going to do this for fun and I don't care about, you know, Im- impressing anyone or being literary or winning awards or you yep. know, people might hate this book. I don't know, but I'm going to, tr- I'm just going to write something that, uh, that feels true and honest and, and more importantly, that's going to make someone uh, smile. <laughs> don't ever lose that. Jared, don't lose it, my friend. That's the key. It sounds so simple, but don't ever lose it because yeah. that is the, the best way forward. Because then it's a win. You win right away yeah. because you enjoyed yourself. And it's almost when you really enjoy it. You know how it is when you finish a day's work and it went really well. There's a kind of sense like, I don't even care what happens to this. I feel so good right now. And I'm so glad I just did what I did. Yes. Until your mind, your monkey mind gets in there and starts wondering, and maybe yours didn't, it, you feel you're good to go in a way. Well, you know, with Hammer of the Dogs, like the title of it alone, it just I just want it to be intriguing. I want it to be weird. I want it to be, uh, but at the same time, inviting. So I want people to uh, read my novel and be like invigorated. You know, like the ending of the first Top Gun movie where you, you saw yeah. that as a kid and you're like, yeah. <laughs> right. right. You oh, want yeah. that. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> no, that's okay. that's good. You should be aiming for an emotional destination. You know, I write these little personal essays and I found success writing them because I learned the emotional place I was always going. There's a certain landing place. And once I had that, it made the rest so easy because I knew what I was aiming for. I was always aiming for that. And I think it's critical. And a lot of people, I think, suffer because they don't know how to end. They don't know what they're trying to give people at the end. Right. They don't understand what they're, and it's an emotional, as you described, just that emotional thing. Having that is so valuable. 
Good for you. Okay, so you did you have enough fun, Jarrett, enough fun writing this thing that you might write another book? Oh, yes. I mean, I've got the next two volumes uh, mapped out. I haven't started writing, but they're outlined. And... Get busy. Yeah, Get I just... Busy. Uh... <laughs> You know it is. I don't want to. I don't want to write three unpublished novels. Oh no, you got one. Oh, I see. Okay, well, this one's published. I got news yes. for you. This one's getting published. Yes, it is. Writing the next one. Uh, so, okay, so good for you. And it's going to be in the. You're going to stay in this series. I'd love to, but you know, honestly, I I just got another uh, contract the other day to write a western series. So I might I might have to switch directions. Here. Really, really. <laughs> well, how fun! I just watched for the first time in my life. 1939 classic stagecoach. I've never seen it. Oh I, my goodness! I've never seen it. I never seen it. And I, you know what? Made. It held up pretty good. It oh, held up me. pretty freaking good for its time. I got to say, it's I was great. astounded by what it was. You know, it's wonderful to see how Raiders of the Lost Ark ripped off that uh, that scene. You know, from from stagecoach where he's being dragged on the uh, uh, on the jeep. Oh right, that. that oh, and he's going underneath the. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. right. Well, anyway, people, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch before anyone knew who John Wayne really was. There, he made his appearance. Yeah, but it, it was—it really isn't. A, in a way, it's a western, but not a. And I don't want to go on about, it, but I was surprised how not a western it was in a way, even though it had all the the western experiences in it, including the cavalry coming to the rescue at the end. No, the spoiler well, alert there. That's what you should do with every. That's what I set out to do with Hammer of the Dogs. I wanted to write a sci-fi novel for people who might not like sci-fi novels. <laughs> I like. No, that's good. That's good because if you can do that, because the thing, if you can do that, science fiction people will actually like it anyway because yes. they're tired of the trope. They'll, they may not know it, but they are tired of the tropes. Good yeah. for you. Good for you. Well, you can do the same thing with the Western, maybe. I'm going to try, but, uh, you know, I do want to satisfy the audience, but I do want to at the same time uh, trouble them, you know, make them a little uh, uneasy, but just a little bit so that they'll keep reading and, um, you know, enjoy the emotional uh, impact of the ending. You should. Okay. So it's Hammer of the Dog. Dogs, hammer the dogs. Yeah, I'm Woo! sure it's available for pre-order right now. Yes, but, it is. And but you might even get it. I don't know. Publishing is weird. You might order it and get it before technically the publishing date, which is September 12th. It will be officially born into yes. the world. But you should pre-order it now. You're not going to be disappointed, people. It's a lot of fun. It's a fast read. It's a good read. I think you like it. Now, Jared, I'm not quite done with you. Not quite done with you. I want you to, you got your thinking cap on right now. Just, yes. if that's what it is. It says liquid death for those who are just listening. <laughs> I can't think of a better thinking cap. Um, okay. I want you to think, I want you to think about all the, you've done a lot of writing, my friend. I want yes. you to think about all the writing you've done. And if it's taught you anything, it's taught you what? Well, writing has taught me that uh, this is a, you know, uh, just the- Don't moment. apologize. Just give me the answer. <laughs> the most painful truth. But, oh, okay. You know, like the you just get you get out of it what you put into it, and the more the longer that I I do this, the older I get. I just find it to be more and more rewarding, and it doesn't. It didn't feel that way when I was in my twenties. It felt painful and uh, messy and uh, unre unrewarding. But the the longer that I stick to it, it's just um, you know the more I invest, the the more I get out of it. I'm just. Um, I'm just so happy that I stuck it out and didn't give up because so many people gave up and uh, you know, they, uh, you can see, you can see it. They, they, the light has gone out to a degree and I hope that everyone who listens to your show um, and listens to these incredible authors, the lineup of authors that you have, that they, um, they keep that in mind that these, these, these authors, they arrived at their destination because they stuck to the oh. path, even oh. if it was, a path that took them in different directions they they kept at it and they arrived at their goal 
It's so true. I, I am a poster child of that very, that yes. very story. And so are you, apparently. So, Jared, this has been a lot of fun. Congratulations on the book. I hope you're proud of it. You should be. You should be, my friend. Um, And I I look forward to seeing what comes next from your very uh, fertile mind. Well, thank you. This is a (laughs) lot of fun. We should let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he's right. You do get out of it what you put into it. And that sounds, I guess, maybe cliched, but there's a lot of depth to that because I think, I think people, I know I certainly have been guilty of this, can forget that everything they do matters. And a lot of the sow, the seeds we sow when we're young writers can seem kind of meaningless, but they're not, they're not. You just keep putting in and putting in. And it does pay off eventually. So it's a good answer. Good answer. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. Check out Fearless Writing with Bill Knauer. Make you feel good. Makes me feel good to do it. But until then, whatever you do, listen to that, read a book, go for a run. I don't care. I don't care what you do, but find something you love to do and do it. (laughs) 